and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. Um, my name is Dave Dunning, I'll be your host. I'm with me tonight to talk through Porto, not 5 0 this time, but 2 0. But that's that sound, we're happy enough with that. Um, and look ahead to Chelsea at the weekend with everything in between. I've got uh, Shengis Gokery out in Berlin. Shengis, how are you doing tonight? All right, mate. I've certainly had worse times and I'm looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, you look forward to the weekend until the weekend gets there and then some sort of weird emotions take over. Um, Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Panic and anxiety. Um, I'm thinking about going to the doctors and getting a strip of diazepam or something. Um, And also with me, I've got Neil Berlin... Neil Patterson out in Berlin. <laughs> Too many Berliners on tonight. Neil Patterson out in Berlin. Chief, how are you doing? Yeah, Grant. Grant. Very uh, very happy with the, the game last night and looking forward to getting into this. What about yourself, Dave? Oh, What's a crack? Oh, thanks for asking, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, um, it's been nice. It's been nice watching, you know, it's been nice watching your team go 2 up after 25 minutes and then kind of cruise a wee bit and then watching drama happening with Manchester City and watching United be shit and Barcelona be not much better and Solskjaer looking like a rabbit in the headlights again and Pogba being shit and then watching some decent Europa League football and just being able to have a generally nice time watching football, which I can't say I've been able to have during watching football recently. So, uh, um, you're a competition. You can't beat it. Like. Yeah, it's class, man. It's class. <laughs> it's just great respite. Um, so it. yeah, so to talk about the respect, um, Shengis, I'll start with you. So we lined up against Porto, um, a change at centre half, a lot of them coming in for Mata, Milner at left back in place of the suspended Andy Robertson after a daft yellow card out in Munich, um, and then a midfield three of Fabinho as the six and Kaida and Henderson ahead of him with the, the usual three. What were your thoughts on when you saw the lineup? Is it what you were expecting? Is it what you'd hoped for? And how do you think it contributed to how we played, particularly in the first half? Well, um, I certainly wasn't expecting uh, Nabi to start. Obviously, um, Millie at left back was the um, expected um, uh, makeshift uh, back four. Well, no, no one was expecting Lovren, I don't think, and so that was the big surprise. Um, and I, I didn't know what to make of the team. You know, um, obviously Navi had a um, a good game, a fairly good game against uh, Southampton. Um, but you know, he he's been in and, in and out of the side. So uh, you you were still, I guess, up up to maybe this point, and even now not fully. Um, a lot of people aren't really sure about, you know, whether he should consistently be in the side or not. Um, obviously, he, he he's a great talent, but uh, you you do get something, you do lose something uh, from from the robust midfield, which um, has taken us to places um, less uh, since the end of last season and also all of this season. But I thought the whole team did really really well. Um, obviously, um, Porto had some. Um, half chances. I mean, they didn't have as clear-cut chances as Spurs did, um, or even Southampton. Uh, but I thought, in general, the team uh, uh, the team did really well. Lovren, I thought he had um, 
the exact right kind of aggression in him and Van Dijk was once again absolutely seamless apart from that one incident where you know we were talking amongst ourselves like yeah but this when was the last time he actually sprinted and then that there was a moment in the game I think it was against um uh, Musa Marega where he actually had to had had to sprint and he he got there and um took care of um the danger so I mean, yeah, it was it was a complete team's uh, performance, and obviously delighted for Nabi to get the goal, and Bobby gets um, another no look finish into the books, and you know it was fantastic, and it ended up being quite routine actually. I mean, after we get the two um, early goals, it, the game completely changed. I guess Porto weren't they 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 hoped they wouldn't concede that early on. Um, so I guess that kind of changed their game plan as well as they maybe wanted to try and control the game a bit more and not let us, um, uh, not give us the opportunity to hit them on the counter, but then they had to obviously try and get that goal, which they had some chances, but, and then we were too good for them. Yeah. It seemed to me as though Porto nearly played the second half the way I expect them to play the 90 minutes where they were very, very deep for probably, you know, right up until the last 10, 9, 8 minutes. And then they they attempted to come out and try and nick something, um, tentatively, albeit, but they did show a little bit more ambition towards the end of the game. But they, they were a little bit more open, chafed in the first half. And I think we, we had the players, uh, particularly in midfield, to exploit that um, in Kaida's performance seeing him driving from midfield, beating men, and doing that thing where you know where you know where a confident player just tries stuff, and if it doesn't work, then he just tries something else, and if it doesn't work, he just tries something else, and eventually something comes off, and then that gives him even more confidence, and he looked like that player again, and also with with Henderson, you know, having a brilliant game pressing. His energy's insatiable, and you know his, his, the quality of his passing. Um, I think probably, probably from open play, one of the best crossers that we have in the side. Um, so he's a real asset playing that right hand side in the number eight role. So what did you think? What do you think of those two guys and what they gave us going forward? And do you think that maybe? You know, as great, as good as that looked and as effective as that was, it does leave us a little bit more exposed in the way that we saw Porto break on us. Yeah, I think I think that's um, that's a pretty good point. I mean, Nabi really did look. Yeah, obviously, the, his his goal in against Southampton um, kind of gave him the boost, and he couldn't even uh, celebrate with his teammates um, because you know it was the equalizer, and uh, they were uh, they wanted to get back to the. Um, uh, to the center of the pitch um, to kick it off, but uh, you know he obviously knows that you know once once that initial breakthrough is done, then that just about releases a bit of pressure off his shoulders, and um, he looks so confident. Uh, not not even just going forward, but he was really pressing for the ball. Um, uh, maybe not as much towards the end of the game, but for the big majority of the game, he was. I thought his work rate was um, pretty good. Um, and he he intercepted some balls. He he did some blocks, some tackles, and um, their understanding with um, Mane is also pretty nice. And Jordan Henderson, oh my days! 
it's what can you say about the guy you know like he's he's got so much who was the last captain liverpool captain that got as much abuse as henderson has i mean the guy he he does everything for the team you know he literally sacrificed himself um when needed and adapted to playing a new position and we obviously it, it was quite frustrating at times to see him play that position even though he really kind of grew into it in a way but you know, he, he his forward passing was obviously obstructed because he was always, you know, the last man uh, in midfield, and he knew that any mistake he would make would um, result in a dangerous situation against the team. So he obviously didn't want to let the team down. He was playing overly cautious um, uh, in that defensive midfield role, and obviously now since Fabinho, you know, um, he plays the role absolutely brilliantly. He can also somehow. Um, not just defend well, but initiate attacks, um, which Henderson obviously wasn't really doing much because he hadn't played that position until uh, Klopp started uh, playing him that way. So um, I thought he did outstandingly well. You know, that through ball um, uh, where Trent um, gets the um, puts in the ball for Bobby with the no-look finish. And obviously, I think for Sadio Mane, um, the offside, um, the the VAR offside goal. Um, I think it was Henderson that put the ball in. So he, you know, he's been fantastic, and he just has so much energy. And when you play him as the eight, he channels that energy in the right way because you know when he's playing in the six, he can't really utilize all his energy. And even if he does, maybe sometimes it's not um, the way he's used to um, using up his energy. So. You can see that he's really, you know, playing with that bit more freedom and license to get forward. Um, I think it could definitely help us because um, his, I think the the ability of Henderson to play in those through balls is a bit underrated. Um, he's more than capable of doing it. You know, he also played a bit further forward um, uh, for England in the in the last game, I believe. So things are finally working out for him and you know he deserves it more than anyone to you know put in really good performances in his favorite position and actually be appreciated by a bigger majority of the fan base yeah i think that's i think that's all fair chief um jordan henderson i think in i think in his his last season um playing high up the pitch i think i, I read somewhere that he, he contributed to the 21 goals through goals and assists um so it would be fair to say he can certainly give us something there that probably nobody else in that midfield can playing from that eight position. But in my opinion, the likelihood is he'll probably switch back to Chelsea um, to the, the doomsday midfield or the Brexit midfield or whatever clever witty, whatever clever witty, terminology they've come up for for the midfield three of Wijnaldum, Henderson and Miller these days but you know what do you think the pros and cons of, of those two are because they they are very different in style what do you mean the, the two midfields yeah because we, yeah. we, we, we well, saw well I think I mean I think I mean going back a, li- a little bit to how sort of Porto set up in the, in the second half and stuff I think they dropped um, I think they dropped really deep off the back of that Manny disallowed goal, um, I think they, they sort of went um, right when that went, went was was disallowed. I think it was it was a bit of a, a switch flicking and then kind of 
remembering the five nil and thinking, right, we'll we'll just sit in here. And um, playing Kaida, I thought Kaida and Hendo were were absolutely awesome. I thought the, we're talking about the two candidates for man of the match there, even though there could have been you could have probably picked from about six or seven players, but I think they they were the the two uh, at the top of the list. Um, but yeah, I mean, you do lose a little bit there in in terms of the uh, covering the ground and and perhaps the the passing lanes. It, it, I think particularly with Kaida, perhaps off the ball as well as he he played on the ball and as as well as he did actually pressing and and um, breaking up play at times. He's 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 not as um, or that midfield three is not as um, switched on shall we say, to to all the possible avenues of of, um, of um, danger, shall we say, from uh, the, the opposite team as much as the, you know, the, the so-called uh, doomsday midfield. I mean, for me, it's not a doomsday midfield at all. Like, I mean, I understand sort of why, why people are down on it, and I've been not down on it, but um, perhaps questioned it at times whenever, you know, Klopp's gone to them in certain games and let's be honest he went to them away at Bayern and and you know had to change things very very early due to an injury and in the end it looked like the the right decision was eventually made because Fabinho was in um it's interesting it's brilliant that Henderson's there he can certainly give us more in the eight um I much prefer him in the eight uh was the season you were talking about there um 13-14 then the last time you played no, I, mean, I, I believe I believe it was actually the season afterwards, as bad as the season was. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Well, I mean, I, I know he did. He did. He scored a good few goals in thirteen, fourteen as well. He must have scored at least six league goals. I would have thought, and uh, he was definitely involved. And he was making those kind of burst in third man runs. You know, absolutely booming forward, and he was finishing well. Um, and I know his finishing went off the boil for a while and ha- has been off the boil for a while but um, he obviously scored uh, against Southampton the decisive goal with that with that absolute burst and, and just arriving at exactly the right time and reading the play and um, he obviously played a, a, a vital role yesterday his passing was absolutely on and, and he's just stepped up a gear um, I think obviously the change of position has helped but um, I think there's more to it than that as well I think there is a a bit of a, you know, him grabbing himself by the balls and just going, right, Licks, um, we're very, very close to achieving something massive here. And uh, if we don't, it's not going to be because of me, sort of thing. Yeah, I think at the same time, Chief, he's had his injury problems. And I think it's fair to say that's as, Maybe, yeah. that's as sharp and as, as fit and strong as I think I've seen him in a number of years now. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. And that's it. You really can see that now. You know, you can see that he's... He's going all out in the sprint again, you know. Um, so long may that continue because although a lot of people have very polarised opinions on, on Henderson, um, I've always always said that um, when he's 100%, he's one of, you know, he, he's a very, very important player for us. When he isn't, then, you know, there, there, there are times when you'd, you'd rather he wasn't on the pitch, perhaps. But when he is at 100% fitness, he's, he's proved himself integral. And, um, yeah, I think you're probably right. We chatted pre-pod. You probably will go back to that three. Uh, I think he'll probably go back to that three for the for the 
um, Chelsea game, um, Wijnaldum, Milner and Henderson. Um, I think it was probably always the plan. Um, I don't think I don't think he would quite trust Kaida in that game um, at this point. I might be wrong. I mean, we sat here a couple of weeks ago before the Southampton game, I think all of us, and we all predicted that we probably wouldn't see Naby Kaida for much of the rest of the season, certainly not to start. And what happens? He starts against Southampton. So, and then he starts in the next game in, in the Champions League, of course, off the back of not a bad performance. Yeah, I thought it played, I, I did think it played into his hands, the fact that that Robertson was suspended and you weren't going to get as much going forward in the left-hand side with Milner. So yeah, I, so you I needed think, that extra forward yeah, for this midfield. Absolutely. absolutely. Like, I, yeah, I can, I can see that. And I can see him going with that three and, and Naby perhaps being first sub if, if something is needed. Um, yeah, it's interesting. We'll see. I mean, pros and cons, you get more, you get more kind of dynamism. With with Fabinho sitting and Henderson and uh, and and Kaida playing in front, you get more incision. You know, you get to to free Henderson to to play. You know, without without fear of of giving the ball away because he knows he's got Fabinho behind him. He's pretty fucking good at mopping up. And if if not Fabinho, well, you've got Verge back there as well. So you know, you're you're covered. So you get that. You get Kaida's kind of roving style and his ability to. To kind of just go past people when you when you least expect it, plus his his ability to pick out passes as well and play through balls. So you've got that. You, you suddenly have like a a stopper and then two almost auxiliary attackers to supplement the front three, or at least guys really loading the bullets for the front three. Um, and that, of course, then you know gives the front three more space to work in because uh, there are more players for the for the opposition to, to worry about. However, if you want solidity and, and his go-to and Jurgen's pragmatism and, and so on and, you know, tried and tested, um, then you're going to go for for the, for the Wijnaldum, Milner, Henderson. And, you know, I think perhaps he'd be right to do so because Porto did have their chances. Um, they were sort of half chances, most of them on the night, but they, they could have gotten one. And, you know, I think Klopp referenced that the striker, Morega, was, was ill and uh, he looks a handful. So... Be interesting in the next game, but um, I think for Chelsea we'll, we'll we'll revert. But yeah, I suppose that's the difference. You know, you sacrifice a little bit of that tactical solidity and nice and, and kind of off the ball work for more unpredictability and, and flair uh, on the ball. Yeah, I, I think I think that's I think that's absolutely right. To be fair to the manager, it's it's as much his pragmatism that's put us in this position than anything else. Absolutely. Uh, um, so I, I don't see why he in his head would have any reason to, you know, defer from that now. No, the only thing might be if, if, if he thinks Milner's, you know, can't do a third game. It would be his third, wouldn't it? He played Southampton as well, didn't he? The bench against Southampton. He was on the bench. Well, should be all right then. Yeah, he came off the bench, of course, with 25 to go, didn't he? And they changed the game. They come on double substitution. I so he probably will. He probably will. Definitely, you know. I would. We'd, I think we'd all. We'd, well, me and you would definitely be very surprised if, if it was a different one. Chengis, what do you think? Genie Wijnaldum is pretty much nailed on to start. I think you know, like you've seen with uh, most Salah during the international break, where he had his holidays. He he had his break where he actually got some rest since forever and. 
you've seen as soon as he came back from that, um, there was obviously the Spurs header, which was given as an own goal, and um, then the wonderful goal he um, scores at Southampton. So um, he looks energized as well. Even against Porto, he he looked, you know, he was a constant threat all the time. And Genie, we we said game after game, you know, he looks shattered, he looks knackered, and. Um, he's also had no rest, you know. They've uh, they played the Nations League uh, games with uh, Netherlands, obviously, and you know they're quite popular with the uh, first team squad with Verge. But uh, you know, Verge he rests during the games. He does, the man doesn't even sprint unless he needs to. But Genie Wijnaldum is all over the pitch, so he obviously I think this sitting out um, uh, the Porto game will have um, done wonders for him and. Um, now he he'll have had a nice break and um, he's definitely going to start. I think Henderson is nailed on to start, which leaves just one position. And you know, it you'd like to think maybe Fabinho um, drops in there so Henderson can maybe play the eight. But he I'm sure he'll still think within himself, even if the, he, he doesn't get instructed by the manager. You'd think that he'd play a bit more withdrawn, not as further up the pitch. Um, um, as against um, Porto or Southampton. So I think we might actually see uh, a Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum midfield, and I would love to see that midfield. Yeah, is there any chance that um, that was a dress rehearsal almost for Chelsea, that he goes the same three again? I would doubt it very much. I just don't think that... I don't think he can afford that amount of space in the middle of the park with the attacking players that, that Chelsea have. Now, I think they don't have a lot of dynamism in midfield. I don't think if he goes with what the three will probably be, who will be Kante, Jorginho and Kovacic. Jorginho and Kovacic are, are fairly passive footballers. Um and with Kante playing out one side, you know, he doesn't quite have that influence over the game as he does when he's, he's playing through the centre. So it just takes one quick pass to Hazard or Willian or Pedro or Hudson-Odoi or whoever it is that plays up there um, to really go and get it our, our back four. So I can't imagine that he will. I think that I think the emphasis will be on, on the full-backs and getting the ball early to the full-backs, getting the ball early to the front three with that screen protection of the three there, um, whoever the three may be. But I think, honestly, I think we I think we nearly look at our front five as not necessarily having a number 10, but you've got the front three and the two full-backs. Yeah. And I think they they're, they're, that's our attacking five, and our defensive five are the three midfielders and the two centre-halves. It's particularly in games like this. So, yeah, I get that that midfield doesn't offer as much going forward, particularly with Henderson playing deeper and then Wijnaldum and Milner there, but they give you so much protection. And, you know, I know Van Dijk's a, a massive part of of the clean sheets and, and the lack of goals conceded, as well as the goalkeeper, but that midfield has its part to play as well. And I think they're criticised for a lot of what they can't do, but they get very little credit for for what they they are good at and i think it goes largely unnoticed because essentially we've got the most expensive center half in the world and the most well 
practically the most expensive goalkeeper in the world. So, as I say, I think going with that, there's, you know, what, Trent's, the, the two fullbacks have nearly 20 assists between them this season. Is that right? It's like 18 assists or something between the yeah, two of them. Like, that's, like that's, unheard, that's unheard of. And there's no way that happens unless they have that license to get up and go and, and, go and join the front, the front three. So, um, that's the way I see it. Um, yeah, I mean it's almost though. I mean, I, I would see it like that as well. I think against Porto, it's interesting what you mentioned about you know Robertson not playing and therefore Klopp sort of feeling that he could uh, with Milner back there he, he he would go more attacking in the midfield. Interesting if Robertson did play. I mean, against some teams you would then at some point you you would probably feel that you'd almost be playing with a with a front seven. You could almost be playing with a front seven. And, uh, you know, with your full-backs, your front three, and the two midfielders with Fabinho sitting and obviously Van Dijk and Gomez behind. Which, so let's be honest, is a fucking lunacy. Against, against your kind of <laughs> bottom, bottom rung uh, of, the, of the Premier League, that kind of, you know, bottom five, bottom six, you, at home, you could, be, you could be looking at that. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's madness as well. <laughs> like it is though it, it's in football in terms of that's madness you can only get away with that for a very short period of time I get what you're saying against 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 a team really... that aren't going to have the ball essentially they, they, they don't want the ball they just want to sit back completely and totally yeah and, I, and perhaps I agree. don't even want to hit you on the counter you know I get that too Chief but at the same time it gets to a point where another player just becomes one too many. One too many, and and, and and even even less space, you know. Yeah. Um. So you can crowd that area, and it, it that can also that can that the more players the more players there are in one area, the less the, the less movement is is possible. So you know, there's that aspect to consider as well. You want to be able to move these defenders about, and and if you don't have that space to run into because somebody's already standing there, then essentially it's just maybe I don't know 18, 19, 20 guys. 22 guys just standing in the 18 yard box. Yeah, but I mean, essentially, last night we had the front, a front six. I mean, you had the full backs joining, apart from uh, you didn't have, um, you didn't have Robbo, obviously, but Milner was also joining, and you had Naby and, uh, and, and Henderson really involved in that final third. So, you know, we kind of had that there anyway, in a way. Yeah, it, it, it's true. Um, it's true. But then you know we, we could go we we literally go round and round in circles in this conversation all night because then we can start talking about the space that that Porto had to had to break into um, and I know against a, a poor side that might not happen but fuck stranger yeah. things have happened we've seen that sort you know that that's the type of thing that that's the type of thing that Palace did the city earlier on the season um, yeah. and we don't really we don't really need that right we now do we. Spaces, do we? Yeah, that's no, we don't. We don't. Um, so yeah, um, I think the midfield, I think if, it, if, if nothing else, the midfield looks a lot more versatile than it did three weeks ago. Um, yeah. and, and I think Klopp realizes now he's more options there than he maybe previously thought that he had, um, which can only ever be a good thing. Um, yeah. looks and like it's coming good for the run in as well, which is, which is nice, yeah. So you've 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 now you've now two unknown quantities there in Henderson in the eight and and Kaida. Um 
now starting to hit a bit of form in those two goals as as lucky as they may have been he'll not care um, and it just takes a weight off his shoulders because he's now in his head absolutely contributing in, in both competitions this year um, and that'll make him feel a whole lot better about himself and it'll make him feel as though he belongs a little bit more um, and that he's at the same level as those guys the, the, the pick the midfield three game has just become a little bit harder all of a sudden which I'm I'm totally happy with so Shane, I guess we we saw and I found it quite weird, but we we saw the use of with VAR um, in in the game, and there was a, a few incidents. That, you know, there was the Trent Ham ball, um, there was the weird Lovren one, there was Salah's Salah's tackle. I suppose I suppose we'll start with that. What was your take on on Salah's tackle? Did, did he get away with one? Well, I mean, <clears throat> knowing how soft the game has become if you like so i mean it's so easy to get punished for very simple small things if you just even look at how diego costa got sent off okay the guy has anger management problems but i mean the the foul that was called for that which pissed him off and led to his reaction was basically nothing happened and the ref just called a foul i I don't think i don't think it was a foul at all and neither did he obviously but with Cards coming out so quickly in any kind of situation and referees always kind of looking to punish players. Um, I thought, you know, perhaps the referee didn't really have the best view of it because otherwise I thought it was it would have definitely been a, a red card. No, I mean, it, it wasn't with the intent of hurting him. And um, we talked about a pre-pod. He, I mean, he wasn't charging into the player so he was never at the risk of breaking his leg or anything but it was still you know studs up and it did look quite bad when you slow it down as well so i mean having a look at that on the var with the slow motion um that that sounds a bit tricky but i mean so it's just one of those where it could be given and it could not it, it could it could you could also get away with it and uh, luckily, we had the benefit of the doubt, um, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if um, if it had been given. Um, and with regards to the other incidents, um, yeah, the the Trent one was ridiculous. The ball was going out of play anyway, and I think they knew even before seeing it that it wouldn't have been given. But I guess it, it, it must be part of protocol where you know if if he's in the box and you know there is actually contact they 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 should actually review and you know see what kind of contact was there if it was somehow intentional or anything like that but i, I thought i'll be honest with you saying i i i thought he was go- i thought they were going to give it i thought they were going to give it as well phil phil died in the fucking studio and the bt studio said yeah he would have given it basically. No, he's a ball bag but he is a ball bag of course but they're all I mean, basically, that's what was you said before. The pot it depends on the referee who's administering it. I mean, obviously, the ball, the ball is going out, and um, it's not a deliberate handball by any means. But with all this, what is the the, the 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 law supposed to be? If your hand is not in the natural silhouette of your body or something stupid, so if it's sticking out basically and it hits your hand, then it's handball. And, yeah, because people because people run with their hands by their sides I know, constantly. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing. But 
for me, for us watching football, having watched football for what, 20 years or more, 30 years, whatever, that's never a handball. It's never given. But with the new with the new interpretation and with, when you're being told that they're going to look for everything and, and when you've seen some of the decisions, and we'll come on maybe to talk about Danny Rose's one in a, in a bit, but we saw the one against United as well. Fair enough. Those, those balls are both travelling towards the goal, so maybe that's why they're given. And, and obviously the one in Trent's case wasn't. But... It could. I thought it could have been given, but uh, it definitely wasn't handball. Like, and uh, you know, it doesn't come. But one of the Porto's best chances comes from the corner directly following that incident. And I think that, you know, one of the aspects of VAR is if they're if if they are doing those penalty checks for, for things that players think what no way there's no way they could give, but but there is that fear. Oh no, they're going to give it. It's bound to affect in some way. The, the the action that directly proceeds, you know, the action that directly follows that. Um, so that's going to be something to, to look out for, like whether which teams or, or players are better at getting their heads together after situations like that, whichever way they go. Yeah, but I mean, uh, it could go the other way in that if, if there is no VAR, for example, and the referee is not really sure if the handball is in any way malicious or if it's preventing the ball from getting to an opposition player or whatnot. And he just says, okay, the hand was in an unnatural position and just gives the, red, uh, the penalty. Other, uh, but rather, when you see it through VAR, you can actually see that, you know, the, the, even if he, like, it's obviously unintentional. And even if he yeah. somehow doesn't touch the ball, um, then the ball is probably going out anyway. So then, it, you know, it's down to the referee in the end. But there's still it, it gives you at least a bit more time to think yeah. before making you know a decision which could end up being you know crucial for whatever team is playing. Absolutely, yeah. You sort of take out because you're absolutely right. The ref could give that. John Moss probably would have given that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just just on the spot. So it's right. It, it does give you thinking time. And I think in general on the VAR last night. I watching it on TV, obviously, and not being in the ground because I think that's a whole different issue and and something that really needs to be sorted out as a, a matter of of absolute priority. Um, but when you're watching on TV, you do know what's going on. They do tell you. you. You do see what's going on. You have the commentators talking about it, although that doesn't necessarily help. But they have a referee as well who, who gives to his opinion, whatever. Um, so. I, I, you know, I think generally the decisions in our game anyway, they got them right. Um, you know, I think they, they there was one where the uh, one of their players, Felipe, I think it was, went down under Trent in the box in the second half looking for a penalty and they sort of, they, they cast an eye over that. They didn't give it. I think the Salah one, yeah, I know what you mean. It, it, it could have been given as well. Um, I just think, well, the rule is, isn't it, that um, you can only you can only give a red. You can't give a yellow or a foul or whatever. So it has to be a nailed on red. And I just think perhaps it wasn't quite nailed on. Um, I think he's he's not really as as you mentioned, Cengiz. He's not really running with much momentum. He's being pulled back by the defender behind him. He's you know obviously um, stretching for the ball. And when he makes contact with the other player, he doesn't doesn't leave his foot in. He doesn't step down or anything, uh, unlike you know Fabian Delph. <laughs> but um, he um, 
so uh, that's that's all I can think because it it also could have been given as a red because he, he seems to go over the ball and uh, studs come down on the leg, you know, quite high. So um, it could have been given, and that that would have been a bit of a disaster given the situation. I mean, it's also one of those where. Th- Thankfully, the player, was it um, Danilo, I think it was, um, you know, he, he's being honest there and he didn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Whereas if you're playing a Real Madrid or, uh, I don't know, Man United or, you know, if you're playing one of the PSG, if you're playing one of these teams and you put in a challenge like that, they're going to be rolling all around the floor. And obviously, then it's a whole different scenario then. I wouldn't say we necessarily got away with two there, but uh, on a bad night, they, you know, they could have gone the other way. Yeah, well, I suppose it, it's it's something we're just going to have to see how it plays out, and it, it's going to take a certain amount of time to to adapt to both for players, referees, and fans. Um, but Tengis, there's one that I don't think was talked about very much, where Salah was. He latched on to a straight back pass and he was through on goal and he does the right thing. He takes it across the, the run of the defender, but the, he absolutely tries to, to nail him. Um, and Salah stays on his feet and slides it wide. And I hate, I hate saying this, but do you think Salah's shooting him down? And B, is that the type of thing that you would expect or would hope that VAR would review? Um... <clears throat> Well, A, honestly, I would say no, even though it would definitely work in our favor uh, for the second leg if uh, one of their players got sent off. But I think Mo did the right thing in um, staying on his feet. And, you know, we saw against uh, um, Bournemouth earlier in the season where um, um, the defender absolutely catches him really nastily um, on his ankle and he stays up and obviously scores a goal. So, you know, it's it's one of those where if it's your defender doing that, just just putting him off um, balance, not enough to bring him down, but, you know, enough to take away from the finish, you would love it. But, you know, obviously, it, 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 Mo could have also scored that goal. Obviously, I mean, it slows him down and... Um, puts him in an uncomfortable situation to try and chip the goalie so he goes for the different technique but I don't know I, I don't think I, I think he's right in not going down and trying to actually score and I mean if he's not going down then I don't really think there's a scenario where they would review that and uh, try and give a penalty but uh, obviously if he goes down then uh, they have they have the right to have a look at that and if he does go down, I think it's definitely um, uh, a sending off and a red card because um, he gets impeded. But yeah, it's one of those where I think you know we're we're still kind of not used to um, this whole VAR thing. Obviously, it's not been implemented in the Premier League yet, so we've only seen glimpses of it um, uh, in the cup games, uh, whether it's in Europe or in the. Um, um, in, in the local cups, but you know, here in Germany, they're not the biggest fan of VAR. I, I don't think there's been any scandalous decisions like um, in the La Liga. Um, you know, for example, for Real Madrid's favor, I think that there was there was a um, a few very very controversial decisions. But in Germany, it's it's been implemented quite well, I think. But there's still a, a big fan base where 
they don't actually like it because, you know, for uh, football purist reasons. Um, but I think, you know, the way the game is evolving, um, you know, the demand is becoming much more. They're increasing the numbers of um, competitions. Players are, you know, being involved in more minutes. They want to play more. They want to score more. Records are being broken, you know, at, at some point with the way the game is changing. Um, and you you also can't disregard the amount of money that's going in and all the sponsorship deals, you know, people, uh, players have to make certain numbers of appearances and whatnot. So, um, you know, they, they have to protect the players in a way. And, you know, it's uh, especially for, you know, offside or handball situations within the box, you know, uh, I, I don't think any team deserves... Um, that much bad luck when they're competing at the very top or at the very bottom. Obviously, you know, if you're a mid-table team, who cares? But um, I think it will just take um, a bit of time for it to be implemented in the right way and also for us to actually get our heads around how it works and how it should work and, you know, get used to the situations, perhaps the fans um, at the stadium where at the moment they don't really know what's going on when there's a pause, but then, you know, it's, it's something they'll have to get used to and uh, hopefully it will be for the better of the game if um, done correctly. Yeah, all fair enough. Well, that's quite enough uh, for talk for me for one night because um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of loads fed up with it. But, <laughs> but, but Chief, did you see this thing today? Um, you know, Cheng is talking about the amount of money in the game there. Liverpool have apparently uh, they're on the verge of striking a, a kit deal with Nike, which would eclipse United's current kit deal, and I think is worth around about six hundred million euros with Nike. Nice, nice. Yeah, I sort of heard. I mean, I thought I heard it was maybe even a, a wee bit more, but um, yeah, because United are on uh, seven hundred fifty million pounds, I think. So it, it should be somewhere north of that. Well, I think they're seven hundred and fifty million dollars. Ah, uh, right. I think that I think that's maybe where it is. Um, be, but could be. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, uh, that's where where we should be because Liverpool are, you know, right up at the top table now and fighting for top honors and will be there for the next few years at least for the foreseeable future. So as that, they should have. You know, one of the top kit deals in the country, if not the top kit deal in the country, and um, and you know, it it just it's another step in the right direction. It's another well, it's another sign that that we're heading in the right direction. That we're that, that we're getting to uh, the kind of status and position where we, you know, we as Liverpool fans feel that we we should be, but where we haven't been for for a long time. Um, so yeah, I mean those kinds of things aren't necessarily that um, interesting to me, like. But it's um, yeah, it, it's 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 all positive. You know, Nike are obviously a massive company, uh, probably the most recognised sports brand in the world. Maybe Adidas, I know one one or the other. Um, <clears throat> but why should yeah? Why should United, who are sick, is it sick? Uh, who cares? They're none of our business. Who cares? That's it. Why? Should, I don't look. I don't look that far in the table it. anymore. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, it's positive news, but um, yeah, not not that not that interesting. I, I just I just think it's I think it's significant 
for no other reason than this is the sort of thing which we as a club have really failed to capitalise on in the past. We have always been two or three steps behind the likes of Manchester United in particular when it comes to um, taking advantage of your brand when when things good. are on the up and things are good and things are positive. Um, and I know there's a hugely, you know, it, it can leave a huge, horrible taste in your mouth um, talking about football like that. But ultimately, the end goal is to be able to compete at the top end of the Premier League and at the top end of, of the Champions League. And the reality is in this day and age, you can only do that if you're competing at the top end off the pitch as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's making hay when, when the sun shines, isn't it? So in that regard, it's it's absolutely positive. And you're right, we have been, uh, we have historically uh, famously kind of lagged behind in that area. So it's it's top, it's top work, but it's it's another um, example of how things have changed off the pitch under um, FSG, uh, much maligned as they have been over the years. There's, you know, um, they're sort of going from, from, from strength to strength at the minute. So long may that continue. It's good for the club and um, it's good for the, for the brand as a whole. It's good for the team. Um, so it's all positive. Okay. So on to Chelsea. This is the, in, in my eyes, this is the big one. I made a bold statement a few weeks ago saying if we won our next four, we'd, we'd win the league. And, the, and this is, this is game four. So, Shengis, it's it's four it's four o'clock. It's it's Sunday. It's the big game. It's first against third. It's a team we haven't beaten in five years at home. Um, Eden Hazard always has a fucking worldy. Just shows up thinking he's Diego Maradona when he comes to Anfield for whatever reason. He seems to really like it there. He's openly stated he really likes it there. They gave us a really good game earlier on in the season. They beat us in the League Cup earlier on in the season. <laughs> How are you feeling about this one? <laughs> you know what, Dave? I'm actually surprisingly, extremely unexpectedly confident about it. I just, I just think we're going to bust them in the game. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't say this kind of stuff normally. I, I also don't want to jinx it or and or anything like that. But I just think that, you know, we we've come to. I think we we reached that that point where you know the last international break, a few of our players with, withdrew, a few of them got some rest, and you know we we won our last six games, and I, I think we're on a roll. The momentum looks great. Um, every single player has been putting in consistent eight out of ten performances. You know we have even more players coming back from injury now. The the general. Um, morale of the players and the energy levels um apart from a few um have looked really really great we've shown um flexibility in that when players are missing or when you know trying something new with regards to hendo going back to playing the eight and everything you know everything's just looking so so good and you know when you factor in that um chelsea um have their europa league game um, and we, we, we will have had uh, two more days of rest before them. And um, I think you mentioned pre-pod. Um, they're going to fly straight from um, the Czech Republic um, to Liverpool. And 
um, train there and uh, then face us. I think, you know, all signs kind of point towards, you know, the five-year um, uh, winless um, uh, sequence at Anfield is going to come to an end finally. And, you know, as you say, this is um, probably the toughest game um, in the league that we have left. Um, so I think with our momentum and a general morale and, you know, players um, all fighting for a place, everyone's um, fit and firing, um, feeling unusually confident uh, while playing Chelsea. Although, you know, they, they have um, picked up form um, recently. <clears throat> I, I think they won um, seven out of their last ten games in all competitions, um, of course, which includes um, a League Cup uh, final defeat to Manchester City um, um, after a 90-minute draw, went to extra time. Uh, they had a draw at Wolves um, and they got beaten by Everton. Uh, that, that was poor, I guess. Um, but they do have um, a bit more stability in recent games. You know, Jorginho kind of um, uh, picked up his game. Uh, Emerson Palmieri is um, playing at left-back. And, you know, Hudson Odoi um, starting to future for the team. Loftus-Cheek has uh, implemented his place uh, in the team pretty much. He's also uh, playing uh, a role uh, in the revival, and you know, I think um, in the l- last game was it when they beat um, West Ham two 0 um, They had Kovacic, Willian, Pedro, Giroud. They were all on the bench, so you know they they kind of found a way to um, uh, pick up their performances recently. And um, it's, it's definitely going to be a tough test, but I just feel like I I, I don't think I've actually felt like this um before you know obviously i'm uh i haven't been um i haven't seen uh, as as much liverpool as you guys and uh, unfortunately but um i certainly haven't felt like this um before where we just feel invincible with uh in in all parts of the pitch you know whether it's um the midfield battle or um going back to defense and you know even if we concede a goal i've i've uh, I haven't been worried in the last few games. I, I always knew that we, we, we could come back against uh, Southampton, that we could overcome um, uh, Fulham's equalizer, and the players could even feel the same way as me. It, it's, 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 al- it's, it's almost like there's something special in the making, and the players can feel it, and everyone can feel it, and hopefully we'll um, overcome Chelsea, and then it will be the last... Um, uh, the last hurdle with the last four games and obviously City um, slipping up against Spurs. Uh, we all predicted that they wouldn't win all their games and uh, we, we had a brief discussion about this. But, you know, um, it, it may well be that, you know, they go on another run, but it could also be that, you know, them slipping up now leads to another slip up, which then, you know, it, it could be a, a feedback loop of, you know, um, their morale being their morale is being dented, and then us getting confidence from that. So it's it's certainly going to be very interesting. But I'm surprisingly more relaxed than I thought I would have been um, uh, for this upcoming Chelsea game. Shengus, are you are you speaking of the the mystical wobble? <laughs> yeah, the, the the mythical wobble. Um, oh, hope. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't think City have um, dealt with um, their... Whenever things have, have, have not been going their way, um, it hasn't happened too many times, obviously, but, you know, Ilkay Gundogan um, earlier said that, you know, they're not able to maybe deal with the mental side of um, things not going their way and um, it, it, that they do have a bit of a mentality issue um, in these kind of situations. So, you know, it, it's football. It's a, it's an absolutely insane season. And, um, yeah, I, I, if you get hold of any um, diazepams, please let me know because, you know, it's, it's, it's been a hell of a journey and anything can happen at any point. And let's see uh, what that outcome is going to be. Okay. Chief. Do you think they're going to wobble? Man City, yeah, I do. Uh, I think it's it's already begun, to be honest. They get a penalty uh, off a, a VAR decision, which uh, it is is questionable, to say the least, but they get, get a penalty in the first five or six minutes uh, away at, at Tottenham in the Champions League. And um, Aguero, who's usually pretty confident from the spot, steps up and, and you know, Lloris makes a save. It's... It's a good save, but it's comfortable enough. He doesn't put it in the corner. And from there, City proceed to huff and puff without really looking that dangerous. And Spurs managed to get a goal in the manner of the goal as well. It, it goes through um, through Ederson as if he were a, a donut, um, a polo mint, whatever, as a, like <laughs> as if he has a hole right in the middle of his body. Um, so it's a, it's a bad goal to concede. And... We were talking before the pod, um, you know, just chatting a wee bit about this, and City tend to, when when the when the when they lose one or when something doesn't go their way, they tend to lose another. And it happened earlier in the season. Leicester, I think Leicester and Palace were were back to back, and I think the Newcastle game comes not not often after, not not long after that. And you just look at the fixtures they've got coming up. Again, we were talking pre-pod. They've got two of the teams that they've already lost against this season to play uh, in the next four games in, in Palace and Leicester. Uh, they've got Tottenham Tottenham to play twice more. They've already lost the first one there. Yeah, and, you know, so there's every chance that they don't get maximum points. We've said this the whole time. It's not like it's, it's ending a new... It's not like it's coming off the back of the Spurs result, but what it shows, what the Spurs result shows is that City are not invincible. And while we've said that they're very capable of putting six, seven, eight game winning runs together and they're capable of hitting teams for five, six or having games wrapped up by the 20th minute, they're also capable of losing against Palace and Leicester. In fact, they've done so already this season. So we don't need them to lose both the games. We don't even need them to lose one of the games. If we win all our games, we just need them to draw once. I think there will be a wobble in the sense that there will be points dropped. I don't know how great that wobble will be, whether it will just be a draw in one game or whether it might be a couple or, or even a defeat. But I think they'll be doing very, very well to get maximum points from all the remaining league games, given the fixtures that they've got um, in the Champions League as well. And given the fact that they're now up against it in that tie they have no away goal um, Spurs get one City need three um, they're in uncharted well they're in kind of familiar Man City territory at the minute behind in a quarter final of uh, of a European Cup uh, they've never got beyond the quarter final I don't think um, certainly not in, 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 in recent memory 
it could become a thing for them. Do you know what I mean? And if Spurs managed to knock them out of the Champions League, how would that affect their season? Because it's no secret that um, that, Man- that the Manchester City would value the Champions League higher than the Premier League, having already won the Premier League twice, um, having gone out there and signed the most expensive manager in the world on the proviso, essentially, that he delivers the Champions League. So it's the number one priority for the, for the club, for the owners, for the supporters now, I would say, although obviously they like winning the league as well, but they've never won the Champions League, never come close. So if Spurs were to, were to actually knock them out of that, how does that affect them? Um, can they just suddenly pick up the pieces and go, right, OK, it, it's a Premier League or bust? Have they already dropped points by that point? Yeah, who knows? But um, I don't expect them to take maximum points from the, the rest of their league games. They're not superhuman, uh, even though they gave out that impression from time to time. And uh, the, the media would love to have us all believe that they are, in fact, not human. Uh, they are. And they uh, they buckle as well on the, uh, at certain certain points. Yeah, and I think, I, I think that isn't something that you can label at this Liverpool team. At this moment in time, and I think that you know, in as I've got older, I've looked at significant games in the season. Um, you know, it was it was Chelsea in thirteen fourteen. It was it was Arsenal at home when it was four all. And that little fucking cunt or Shavin went and scored four goals that he never ever scored in his life um, yeah. in two thousand and nine. And those those seemed like significant, like really significant. Games games in the title race to me, not that we've had many. Um and this this feels like this feels like that last big, big hurdle um where you can almost see the line and yeah. you just need to you just need to keep your momentum and you just need to, to continue your ten yard sprint and you're there and you're over the line. And I think it's worth noting the magnitude of this game because it's absolutely massive. And I know we've we've won games and you know we've we've kind of coasted during the week there, but this is absolutely huge. It I mean it is, of course it is. Um but in a way, well quite often significant games when you look back over seasons and stuff that they're often kind of further amplified in hindsight. Um, but, like, I know what you mean. Going into those games in those years, you, we were looking at them and going, you know, especially 13-14, you're going, right, because we needed to win every game, of course. This season, yeah, and what you were saying a minute ago, you can't level that, uh, you know, uh, the buckle situation or the bottle situation of this, this Liverpool team. The, the, the big difference with Liverpool this year, and they've, they've shown it, in very recent um, games, is when they go behind. As Cheng has said, you, you you feel confident that they're gonna they have enough to come back and win games. When they when they concede an equaliser with ten minutes to go, you feel confident that they're gonna come back and win the game. And I've never I haven't felt like that for a Liverpool, about a Liverpool team in at least a decade. Uh, I don't I can't really remember that much before that but but in at least a decade when Liverpool have conceded a goal at the wrong time you you just haven't expected them to have the wherewithal to come back you, you expected to be fatal and certainly when Klopp took over that was very much the case you, you referenced the Palace game is is one of one of his first games 
Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's really really uh, you know a, a fabulous thing to have that that confidence, and the players have it, and the fans in the stadium have it as well. But uh, you're right, it is absolutely massive. It's you know, as long as we're neck and neck in this title race, and as long as we're going for it, the next game is always going to be absolutely massive. Obviously, it's big because it's Chelsea. Um, it's big because we don't have a great record against them at home, as you previously mentioned. Um, but I think we're in good shape. Um, they play tonight. They've just finished, as we speak, maybe five minutes ago, that their match finished. They had a tough enough game. They ended up winning 1-0. But um, they brought, had to bring Hazard off the bench with, with half an hour to go. Um, they, you mentioned earlier, they've got a terrible um, or a less than ideal uh, preparation for the game against us. They're, they're flying into Liverpool, I think, directly tomorrow or tonight, and then um, training at, at at Everton's facilities. Yeah, there's also there's also going to there's also going to come a point, Chief, as well, where either Chelsea or Arsenal are going to have to stick or twist with their potential route to the Champions League I feel well yeah well they're both going to want to stay in it as long as possible uh, in both you know what I mean the, the, but um, what, what I mean is one of them is one of them is going to have to make a decision where they're going to sacrifice yeah but it it, it it all depends on results until Arsenal threw one in against Everton last week I mean Everton played well but I mean Arsenal were awful until Arsenal did that you would have backed Arsenal to to have that fourth spot pretty much probably taken care of. But the way the results went at the weekend, Chelsea went fourth. Um, so, you you know, Chelsea don't beat us and Arsenal win their game at the weekend and the pendulum swings again. If, if Chelsea do get a result against us, heaven forbid. But yeah, you're right. You'd imagine at some point, but I don't, I don't know if it affects how it affects our game, particularly at the weekend. I don't think Sari being in fourth place going into the game would think right. Well, I think we're just going to focus on the on the Champions League, although they're obviously in a good position. Um, but Arsenal are two 0 up against Napoli as well, so you know after their first leg, so they're in a good position. So you know what I mean? They're they're both they're so neck and neck in the league, and and both of them have a, have a good chance of winning the Europa League. So it, it's going to be a while, I think, before it's going to be two three games before they have to make that decision. I think. Yeah, you may be right. So it's big. It's Sunday. It's four games to go after that. Yeah, it's the last. It's the last big one on papers, and it? it's the it, last. It's, it's the last big one. It absolutely is. Um, Sengus, pick me a team. So now let's 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 consider let's consider Joe Gomez as well because, as the old saying goes, if he's fit enough to be in the bench, I think I think we I think we go with um, Trent at right back. Although I wouldn't blame anyone. I, I wouldn't want it, but I wouldn't blame anyone if they suggested that. Maybe Milner plays at right back. However, I would go for Trent um, to be partnered with. This is this is probably the toughest one. You know, it's obviously a toss up between Lovren and Matip. Um, I, I don't think um, it's it's the time for Joe um, to make a, an appearance just yet. You'd maybe think that he perhaps starts or, or at least gets some minutes in the beginning. Uh, Maybe Cardiff or um, Huddersfield, even. 
But I, th- I think it's going to be a, a really tough choice between um, Matip um, and Lovren to partner Van Dijk um, and Lo- uh, Robertson at left back. Uh, obviously, you know, Matip has said, I, I don't think he's um, put a foot wrong. And, you know, when when needed, when, you know, the, the, the midfield is kind of locked up and there are no passes, um, uh, um, even, even long passes, you know, he, I, I really like the way he can kind of dribble his way, um, uh, just keep on bombing forward and uh, looking for that uh, uh, looking for that pass. But um, I, re- I also really liked uh, Lovren's aggression um, uh, in the Porto game. However, it does make you wonder if, you know, coming up against um, tricky, pacey players like <clears throat> Hazard, who, uh, as you mentioned, always has a good game um, against us, especially at Anfield. Um, and, you know, uh, with the pace of Hudson Odoi, if he plays, you know, you really wonder if lo- you can 100% rely on uh, Lovren to channel his aggression in the right way and not just fly in and put in some reckless challenges. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, he goes back to picking Matip um, Van Dijk with Robertson left back and uh, we see a midfield of... <sighs> Yeah, he sounded so confident until you started to say it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it it really does add up. You know, having a solid midfield with uh, you know Trenton Robertson uh, joining up the attack, eff- effectively having a, a front five and um, a, a block of three defensive midfielders and um, you know the centre backs. But I think. Um, my midfield would be Fabinho, Henderson, and Wijnaldum with Henderson having a bit less license to go forward as he um, did in the last two games. And obviously the front three picks itself. Okay. Keith, any advances in that? Yeah, probably. I mean, I'd, I'd, probably, I'd say Lovren probably stays in, I would venture to say, after that game. Um I think Matip had a knock and Lovren played well. I would imagine he probably stays in. Uh, probably Trent at right back, but there is scope for for giving him a rest and uh, and playing either Miller or potentially Gomez there. But probably I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that that that's a question. Personally, I'd keep Trent in, but there is an issue potentially with, with maybe Hazard um, playing on him or. Uh, maybe targeting him or whatever, but um, yeah, I would I would stay with Trent, Lovren in, Robo back. Um, I think the midfield will probably be the Milner, Wijnaldum, Henderson, Triumvirate, and I think the front three picks itself. What could be interesting though, actually, would be playing Milner at right back, and that would give scope for uh, for a Fabinho to play in midfield and free up Genie and and Henderson to to play a bit further forward. So um that could be interesting. That would be the way of get it would be a way of getting Milner in your team, uh or in the team as as well as potentially doing something a bit more interesting in midfield. What do you reckon, Dave? Um I would go the 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 back five that's been playing, including Matip. I would go a midfield three of Henderson, Fabinho and Wijnaldum and the front three, I think he'll do that all but Fabinho for Milner because that's just what I think that he'll do and 
I do know how he likes to get Milner and Henderson on the pitch at the same time in these games. And, you know, there's maybe a shout for him to say, you know, Trent, you've, you've really played a lot of football recently. Um, and if we do have Henderson higher up the pitch, you might get a similar quality of delivery from the right-hand side that you might it. not normally get. And you might be able to sacrifice Trent in that aspect just to give him a little protection. But I, I, I think it's going to be, it, it, there's not going to be loads of teams. It's going it's to be one of those three or two or three we talked about there. Um, I think we've kind of kneeled down. I think we've kind of kneeled down, you know, 12 players there and it's going to be 11 of those 12 in whatever positions they play. Yeah, um, nothing mental at all. Yeah, but no. the, Hendo, like, he, likes a, he likes a screamer against Chelsea, doesn't he? So maybe playing him further forward wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. All right, so got a lot got through a lot tonight. Hope you managed to stick with us. So We've gone on a bit, haven't we? Yeah, we have. But sure, we had loads to talk about. Football's great at the minute. Uh, and we didn't even get into how shit United are. So <laughs> count your lucky stars. Um, okay, so on to Chelsea we go. It's it's a big one. Chief, thank you. Anytime. Thank you. <laughs> Chengis, thank you for your company. Nice one, mate. Great to talk Wonderful. To you, mate. Okay, great. So up the multifunctional midfield reds. <laughs> 